This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, this is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Sharmila Ganesan. The story of the Malaysian arts is often a story of migration, art forms that journeyed from other countries and cultures to find a home here to evolve in their own unique ways. And you just heard the music and sounds of a Manora performance by Kumpulan Manora Chitmanit. And so in conjunction with this year's Merdeka and Malaysia Day celebrations, we're talking about the histories and journeys of some of these art forms and how they became a part of Malaysian culture. Joining me for this conversation are Pusaka's Edin Koo and Pauline Fan, who work with the ritual and traditional performing arts here in Malaysia. Thank you for joining me, Edin and Pauline. Lovely to be Good here. To be here. Hi, Just to get things started, um, when it comes to the Malaysian traditional arts, how common is this concept of migration? Uh, well, uh, we are a, a community that has drawn people and uh, uh, we are a nation rather that has drawn uh, from communities all over the world. Uh, and uh, our is essentially our cultural essence is a polyglot one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, very much like most tropical climates, we are very accommodating to influences. <laughs> In fact, the whole Southeast Asian region does not know anything else uh, beyond a polyglot and mongrelized culture. Um, now, th this term migration is interesting because I think uh, cultures have settled here for uh, enough of a period of time to actually not refer to them as migratory cultures anymore, mm. but essentially as diasporic cultures uh, that have spread from one point of origin and then uh, kind of permeated various parts of the globe, uh, in particular Southeast Asia, uh, which, which has had waves of, of, of very significant uh, and uh, complex and complicated uh, cultural influences. So uh, the Southeast Asian experience really is one of secretion, accretion, um, you know, as influences come and, and settle and in the Malay word, you know, they sow, right? Uh, so... Um, it, it is our complete reality, uh, uh, the, the, the coming and goings and interactions uh, and metamorphosis uh, of culture. No, I think, uh, I think what Edin said is uh, really encapsulates the experience of uh, kind of cultures that not only that we find in Malaysia, but particularly the kind of cultures that we work with in Pusaka, um, which are community cultures. And many of them um, are what you would say diasporic cultures, um, because many of the communities that have settled over centuries st still do retain either something they've brought from um, the place that they or originated. But that, of course, is never um, pure in a sense because it, it has also metamorphosed, it's evolved, it has adapted to local sensibilities. And all of that um, is part of what is still the living culture of Malaysia today. Mm. So when it does come to specifically our our art forms, our artistic traditions, what are some of the main influences that um, that are still sort of impacting what we call our arts? Um, 
main influences, it, well, I think the main influence uh, uh, that permeates the foundations of our, our, of our art and culture uh, are ritualistic. Uh, essentially, they are commemorative traditions. Uh, they commem commemorate a, a, a particular kind of occasion or they uh, commemorate a particular kind of need. Uh, and they're also very community orientated. Yeah, uh, that is upon the, the basis upon the basis upon which our uh, art and culture uh, have been understood, uh, and uh, they have evolved from these uh, platforms. Um, all the more recent uh, energies that are devoted towards the performative, um, these are fairly recent or more modern uh, um, evolutions. Yeah, uh, even even the stage is a fairly uh, a novel. Uh, and recent phenomenon emerging only some sometime in the 1920s and 1930s here. Uh, so we do have very strict ritualistic uh, uh, leanings. Um, that has, of course, been uh, altered, modified, um, and very often also interfered with uh, because it's not been allowed to evolve naturally sometimes, but has been uh, defined by edict uh, and policy. Uh, and uh, these are some of the more disruptive factors in the evolution of our culture. Now, we are not Puritan yeah, here when we come to talking about uh, culture uh, because our cultural forms have always been open to influences uh, and ours are very folk traditions. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, high, highly they're not highly classicized traditions. Uh, the concept of the classical itself is, a, is, is quite a modern concept. Um, but... Uh, uh, yeah, our, our, our traditions here actually now coexist in two or three different varieties. And that can sometimes be confusing for uh, audiences that are not uh, familiar uh, with the roots, genesis and origins of these uh, traditions. Can you give us some examples of art forms that have originated elsewhere and then migrated here and then sort of taken root and evolved in their own way? Mm -hmm. um, well, some of the traditions that we work with very closely are perfect examples of these kind of um, traditions that have migrated from, from elsewhere. Um, for example, the Kudakepang tradition, which originated in, uh, in East Java, um, and also the Rayok Ponoroga tradition that we work with, um, also originated from East Java and have settled and are now performed by communities of Javanese descent, particularly in Johor. But you also do find Kudakepang practitioners in places like uh, parts of uh, Slango, where there are also Javanese uh, communities. Um, those traditions themselves, again, like Edin said, they, they evolve. And so it's not a copy and paste of what they've found in Java. They've also um, evolved to, to adapt to sensibilities here. Um, they have quite different sensibility, I think, the kuda kepang that you find here, if you compare it to the kind of kuda lumping performances that you find in Java. Um, the Teochew and Hokkien and Cantonese opera traditions, I think, are also perfect examples of traditions that have migrated from elsewhere and, again, also adapted to local to local sensibilities and conditions. Mm -hmm. But you find it definitely also with the Indian community. Um, and one of the communities that we work with very closely is the Urumi Melam tradition, um, Tamil drumming tradition, which is a ritualistic tradition, um, as, as Edin mentioned earlier, um, which also is something that is not, not usually seen as performative or even an art form. Um, even though it is a really sophisticated drumming tradition, it's a ritual tradition and really associated very closely with with Murugan, with Kali um, devotion. And so the communities that we work with are very, very highly skilled drummers. And we've worked closely with them also to curate them in such a way and introduce them to new audiences and, and a new kind of platform of performance where they can be also appreciated 
as an art form in, in itself? I think one of the best uh, traditions to reflect or answer your question really is the Wayang Kule, yes. uh, the, the shadow play, which mm. of course has its origins in, in India. Uh, but as we know, there are about 300 varieties of the Ramayana in, in India. Uh, so, uh, you know, based on, on, on conjecture, uh, I think our variety comes from somewhere in Orissa, uh, the east of India, and had traveled over, over land. Uh, from, from, from there into uh, mainland Southeast Asia, uh, forging a kind of Ramayanic crest, mm -hmm. which ends in Klantan. Uh, and remember that Ramayana, when we speak of here, is a narrative tradition. Yeah? It's an oral narrative tradition that is a lot about encapsulating worldviews and not so much about religious practice, uh, because the controversies over the past 20, 30 years involving Wayang Kulet, uh, you know, aspects of, of, of the heretical, of uh, polytheism, uh, the the uh, Wayang Kulit Ramayanic tradition that we perform in Klantan is a highly Malay tradition. Uh, it encapsulates the worldview of the Malays of Klantan, uh, the sensibilities, and even the whole nature of the story itself has been turned on its head, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak. So, so these are some of the very intricate details um, that, that define these broad generalizations, you know, about this being an Indian tradition or this being having a source. Uh, what is very interesting, paradoxically, sometimes is uh, the relationship between tradition, community, and memory. Uh, so if you look at the Kuda Kapang, for, for example, here, there is a kind of purity of approach to the tradition that is no longer very evident in Indonesia, mm. uh, where the tradition has become very commercialized, uh, highly almost filmic, you know, uh, in its approach. Um, and then, of course, the Urumi is also another very, very, very uh, um, a good example of this, where it has come to consolidate a certain kind of memory of Indian culture uh, and the working class origins of Indians in Malaysia. Uh, whereas in India, it's somehow you know caught up in the whole wrangle of caste and uh, uh, and uh, cultural politics over there. So the Urumi has a kind of vibrancy and life over here, and also an openness and expansiveness that it doesn't have in its in what was its original uh, cultural context. Mm. So on this question of um, purity, which you just mentioned, right, um, could you explain that tension between this idea of staying true to a particular route for an art form uh, versus it evolving? You know, where exactly does that line lie? Yeah, well, traditions are very interesting because, as I said, this, this effort to classicize something, yeah, uh, to classicize is to basically to put it into very clear structures uh, so that it's not polluted. Uh, this is a very modern thing. Uh, it, it has kind of happened, uh, you know, along. And this is where a relationship, for example, with social and political structures and the administration of arts uh, has, has had a, a very great effect. Uh, in Indonesia, for example, the point of the Wayang tradition there is to maintain and sustain its, its classicism. Uh, over here, ours is a very messy and bastardized kind of tradition. It, you know, it has its structures, but then it goes into a whole uh, variety of improvisation, grabs here, grabs there, uh, and it all forms part of the, um, of, of the performative uh, ethos. So um, this puritanical uh, approach, as I said, again, is a very modern one. It, it has come with things like the national cultural policy, you know, this idea that somehow Wayang has to be museumized and preserved when actually its whole life force um, is not about that at all. It's about being, you know, uh, very responsive 
to um, things around you, very improvisatory in nature. Uh, and of course, by doing that, it renews its life cycle all the time. Uh, the moment you put it on stage and, you know, you have uh, scripts and uh, you, 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 you modify its uh, uh, life force, uh, then it becomes a dead tradition. Mm. Pauline, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, when you work with practitioners, on, you know, with people who have been practicing these for generations, um, do you get a sense from them that there is this staying true to something or are they quite open to it being this free flow of change? There's actually, I think, um, there's two things. There's one, there is a sense of staying true, but what, what are they staying true to? Very often it is staying true the particular line and the particular aleran um, and the particular, um, what's been passed down by their particular guru and maintaining that in some form. But at the same time, I think with the traditional arts and particularly with the traditional arts in Malaysia and in this part of the world, um, true masters of traditional arts always have to make that art form their own. And it's not, you don't become a master until you know how to improvise and until you really put your own personality even on that art form. And so each tradition, you will never find two dalangs who perform exactly the same way. You will never find two kurakepang performances, uh, performers who perform in the same way. And the same goes with Mak Yong. Mak Yong, even from village to village, they have yeah. very, very nuanced ways and not only of uh, performing and stylized ways of singing, but even the narrative themselves, the story of the Chirita Mak Yong and the versions of the story of just say De Dewa Muda or Dewa Pachil, there are nuances in each of those stories um, and, and modes of performance that come with their particular aleran. Um, and so that is usually what they stay true to. Um, but at the same time, they are very open to improvisation. Improvisation is a, is a very key aspect um, and, and powerful element of the traditional performing arts. Um, and if you don't have the openness to improvise, you're really not going to ever be a master. Um, at the same time, I think you, there is also a sense, um, I think among particularly the older masters that we work with, um, that you do have to be cautious of, I think the kind of change that they are resistant to is a kind of imposed change from yeah. outside their community. If it is a kind of evolution and change that comes organically from within their own community, um, and, also, and they're naturally adaptive. You know, they've adapted very well with us. To, in, they're comfortable in performing in all kinds of spaces, whether it's a black box setting, um, an outdoor setting at the Esplanade in Singapore. Um, they've performed even the Rialto Theatre in Atlanta, where James Brown performed. You know, mm -hmm. our Wayan Kulit uh, group was completely natural and, uh, and comfortable playing to, to a rapturous audience in that space. Um, so they're naturally adaptive. But I think... What, is, what you can distinguish is change that comes from within and a natural kind of evolution or kind of imposed um, aesthetic that, that is not part of what they feel should be their tradition. Mm. So in celebration of Merdeka Day and Malaysia Day next month, I'm speaking to Edin Koo and Pauline Fan of Pusaka about the journeys and evolution of various art forms into Malaysia. We'll be back after a short break, but first here's a clip from the Teochew Puppet and Opera House Penang. You're listening to Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. <laughs>
Welcome back. This is Front Row on the Bigger Picture and I'm Sharmila Ganesan. It is Merdeka Day soon and of course Malaysia Day is coming up as well. And so today we're looking at the stories of some of our Malaysian art forms that have journeyed from other places to take root here. You just heard an excerpt of a performance by Kumpulan Kumpang Anak Selangu. And with me are Edin Koo and Pauline Fan of Pusaka, who of course work with the ritual and traditional performing arts in Malaysia. Um, so, you know, just to go back to what we were talking about before the break, this idea of so many of these traditions, um, so many of these art forms actually being part of rituals, of, of actual everyday practices rather than something that's put on a stage or something people attend. Um, how has that, how does that shape the way in which these practices are then passed on, you know, um, rather than it being something that you formally learn and, and you have to attend classes for, um, you know, how, how does it then get passed on? We are an oral culture, uh, so it's passed down through the senses. It's passed down through a particular kind of lineage. Yeah, uh, We are in the process of seeing that that way of uh, learning or, uh, and that approach to the bequest uh, kind of changing because literacy is creeping in. Yeah, uh, And I think one of the, one, one, one of the major uh, um, uh, interferences is literacy. Uh, because there is a particular kind of genius that comes with orality. Uh, it's it's a opening up of all the senses. Uh, it's a particular way of approaching uh, incantation, for example. You know, the, the mind works in a different way. Uh, I think with literacy, everything is focused towards meaning uh, and, and, and less about a certain kind of what in Malay they call marasap, you know, absorption. Mm. Uh, so these are very interesting um, things I've, I'm, I'm, I'm observing through as 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 the as as um, the years pass, um, but overall, I think uh, um, you know when when things are being tied so closely to ritual uh, and the commemorative, then everything actually has a performative element. We don't ever think about that actually, uh, but you know, every when we are involved in in religious activity, when we are involved in in cultural activity, it is a certain kind of uh, performance. Um, that is then encapsulated in a performative form. Uh, today, we have a lot of the performative without actually realizing uh, the ritualistic element or, or having really a clear sense of, of what you're doing in a commemorative sense. So what are then the challenges of trying to preserve these art forms? I don't like the word preserve. Uh, and if you notice, uh, Pusaka has always abjured or, or kind of distanced itself from this what I, what, what I think is a very patronizing term. Mm. Uh, I am really not big into the UNESCO kind of business of, you know, uh, preserving this and maintaining <laughs> these um, uh, things as if they were going dead. Uh, for all, all the years that I've been working, even when these many of the traditions we were working with were under a great deal of pressure, uh, what I found were, were, were people who were uh, practitioners who were incredibly vibrant, animated uh, and rebellious, yeah, quite rebellious. Uh, in ensuring that 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 their traditions uh, continue to 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 be viable, uh, today uh, Pusaka works with uh, a variety of about twenty eight to thirty traditions, uh, and I always point out that about eighty five percent of our performers are under the age of thirty. Yeah, mm. uh, so there's a, a great return uh, uh, to tradition, and uh, th this this binary between the traditional and contemporary is a binary that exists for contemporary people. It's not a binary that exists for traditional people who, who perceive their 
traditions within a sense of some kind of uh, not eternality uh, um, uh, necessarily, uh, but one that has an expansiveness through generations uh, and it is a bequest and it's a bequest that is to be passed down to further generations. So they always see themselves within this continuum. I do think one of the challenges, not so much um, about preservation, but about the, the learning and the passing down, like you said earlier, um, the passing down of knowledge, um, of traditional knowledge among these communities is the main concern for most of the masters who we work with. Um, one, of course, is uh, especially the traditions who've had pressure, um, like the prescription in Kelantan and also prescriptions also in Johoya yeah, on, on traditions like the Kudakepang. Um, many of them, they're mostly concerned, not just about being able to perform, but to pass down that knowledge. And, and like Edin said, um, it's not so much the interest that's lacking. I think part of it is that actually the literacy, some of it we're not, um, it does take more time, I think, for young people mm. nowadays to enter the mode of orality. And so mm. the concentration sometimes, and the kind of, um, I think some of the facilities that, and the openness to different ways of knowing that were more immediate in the older masters, are just, it's just more difficult to get there for some of the younger ones. And um, for example, in our Kudakepang community, the old master, Wakdin, who is the bapak of the group, he received his first knowledge of Kudakepang actually through dreams, not through a master, but he was receptive enough and he was, um, or his worldview and the, the kind of worldview that he was, that he existed in, dreams were a valid mode of knowledge and of, of receiving knowledge. And, and for him to actually, before he ever started to learn with a guru, it was through his dreams. And then only he went out to seek a Kudakepang guru and then who then affirmed the knowledge that he had received in those dreams. I think that's a rare experience. And I don't think um, many of the younger ones, even the ones who are deeply steeped in that Kudakepang tradition, even they haven't had that kind of intensity in the way they receive knowledge. It's usually through a guru. Um, and only maybe later um, they'll have more intense experiences. But I think that is one of the problems. It's that kind of, there's a disconnect between uh, the oral person and the, the modern person, the young modern person who's been through all the modes of um, modern education. So just exam, a different, different mode of learning exam, almost. Yes. Yes. Yeah, this exam mole culture, mm. you know, the exam mole mm. uh, conditioning that we get uh, everywhere. Uh, it's disruptive in all kinds of ways. Mm. And having said related to that, I think is um, also, I think it's very important to maintain as much as possible. I mean, of course, um, even the situation in the community is evolving all the time as well. Um, and so the ways that they pass down the knowledge, I think it's important as much as possible to keep encouraging that master and disciple bond yes. and to pass down that knowledge in a traditional oral way. Um, because one of the dangers of... Um, of making everything just say in like a kind of syllabus fashion. While, while it's important, I think, to document the modes of instruction, I think we should also resist codifying everything too much in a syllabus form because the danger of that is then to actually reduce and flatten out all the nuances that happen um, between from kampong to kampong and from group to group and from master to master. Mm. You want those nuances and the nuances and the variations that you find in the traditional arts, that's actually what that's where some of the richness of the traditional arts really lie. Um, and once you codify everything, much of that is lost. Yeah. So speaking of um, 
sort of this clash between modernity um, and a sort of a modern approach to doing things. I'm very curious to to kind of bring this conversation into the formation of the nation state um, and what that has done in terms of, because, you know, we've been talking about art forms and, and their journeys and their evolutions. Um, has there been a change in the way um, ideas of belonging or, 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 or ownership over these art forms um, have manifested pre you know, this idea of Malaya or Malaya and post? Uh, well, culture and uh, uh, the nation state are antithetical things, yeah? <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, culture doesn't recognize borders. I mean, it is very fluid. Uh, what I suppose the challenge, and you can't blame, you, it, it's not a matter of blaming anything. It's about identifying uh, uh, certain trajectories uh, that are necessary, yeah? Uh, so, you know, once a nation state is established, it, it is it meant to have a, a cultural identity. Uh, our country, of course, becomes very, very difficult because uh, we, we, were, we, we decided to define ourselves racially um, and then culturally uh, and then linguistically uh, and want to coexist. Uh, all these cultures want to coexist at the very same time. Um, yet uh, culture has permeated uh, all of our cultures and made it extremely, extremely messy. So as we begin to construct an identity, uh, we also disrupt, disrupt the cultural uh, openness that has existed prior to our, 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 the emergence of our, our nation state, for example. Yeah? Uh, so if you go to a state like Klantan, you know, regarded as a frontline Malay, Puritan, Islamic state, I mean, uh, the, the, the centuries of immersion of Thai and Malay culture there uh, make Klantanese identity very, very unique, yeah? Uh, but we know that there have been um, uh, problems, uh, there have been uh, strictures that have arisen, particularly in the past 30 or 40 years, uh, uh, efforts uh, with the National Cultural Congress to identify what is legitimate national culture and what is not legitimate uh, national culture, uh, gives it a kind of, um, gives it a kind of uh, a distinctiveness it doesn't actually have, Yeah. Uh, and I think that has been only perpetuated and made and made more difficult as political forces start to interfere and intrude upon the practice of culture. Uh, this is most evident, of course, in the state of Klantan, uh, where this whole uh, aspect of revision, re uh, re envisioning uh, what is legitimate and not in in your own culture, in your own innate culture, uh, has resulted in all kinds of cultural tensions and contradictions. Um, what Edin said is a, a completely powerful, actually. But the, yeah, I agree. I think the ways in which the communities, take Johor, for example, the ways in which they imagine um, their place of origin is still very much in East Java. Yeah? I mean, so the way that community itself um, imagines their journey, um, I think is, is extremely powerful and, and legitimate and is beyond any kind of Merdeka or founding of the nation, and, and it's beyond the kind of official histories and, and narratives that we usually hear. And it certainly doesn't make sense to them when um, these kind of cultural ownership um, wars between Indonesia and Malaysia sometimes play out in, in ridiculous yeah. ways, mm -hmm. because for them, they are as much Javanese as they are Malay and Malaysian. So they are, they are all those layered identities at the same time, and not one takes precedence over the other. And yeah. so um, sometimes those things don't really make sense. And, and with the Reyok Ponorogo tradition that we work with, actually some of the, the musicians are actually very, very recent migrants from Ponorogo. Um, 
and some of them are descendants who've um, their ancestors came maybe in the early 20th century. Some of them have only the are new Javanese who've come here in the last six years and then joined this group. Mm. And, and so you have a really mixed and hybrid group from, and none of them see it as Indonesian or Malaysian or whatever. It's just, this is um, the culture that, that they've grown up with. This is the culture that has been passed down to them and they're practicing that. Um, so this, these kind of definitions of uh, what's ours and what's theirs sometimes is a bit ridiculous. That, that is what makes culture very dangerous sometimes. Actually. Mm. It mm. makes culture extremely, extremely dangerous because it's constantly subversive. What do they? What do the practitioners make of these? Um, the, the 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 sort of the changes in the art form itself is one thing, but also these tussles between well, this belongs to Indonesia, that belongs to Malaysia. Well, well one of the great things that um, traditional artists or people involved in tradition always possess is a great deal of humor. <laughs> uh, so you know, there's a lot of satire. And, you know, the approach to these kinds of things is like, extremely sardonic. So, um, I, I mean, we, I, I think communities take it quite seriously uh, when it comes to actually interrogating the intellectual content of what they do. Um, but this silly tug of cultural tug of wars of where does Rojak belong and, you know, whether the, <laughs> the, the, the batik I'm wearing uh, on my head uh, belongs to Indonesia or, or Malaysia. Of course, batik has very specific identities, but it is a diasporic tradition. Uh, I, I think the sense of humor uh, that is very built in, uh, very built into the traditional um, artist sensibility uh, is, is what they project when they have to deal with these kinds of, 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 of um, uh, cultural claims. Mm. Um, I want to kind of connect or rather contrast this to more recent art forms that have quote unquote migrated into Malaysia. You know, how has the how has the approach and the way in which people view these art forms changed? If you compare something like, say, Kuda Kapang with something like ballet or Bharatanatyam or beatboxing, I mean, these are all art forms that have made their way to Malaysia just in different time periods. What does that do and how, how, do, how do they differ? Uh, well, it's, it's of course, the channels are very, very different. Uh, the social realities are very different. Uh, my brother is one of the great Bharatanatyam dancers in this wo- in the world, if I may say so. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, be- it's because he's he's just that good. Um, but uh, it it uh, it's you know there, there's a, there's a certain especially in a culture like ours, which has great absorbing qualities, uh, the qualities to ob- uh, absorb. Um, it's not a, a difficult for all kinds of different styles and genres and traditions to actually settle here very well. One of the things I have become so captivated with over the past four or five years is Tamil rap. Uh, you know, and because rap is so natural to the Tamil language uh, with its accents and its inflections, uh, you know, uh, um, it flows so nicely. And we've been trying to also kind of encourage. And then you have Urumi, Urumi Melum players who like sneak in uh, Michael Jackson riffs uh, <laughs> into, their, into their drum forms and, and, and so on. So again, as I say, that innate spirit of creativity that is really in the pulse of where we uh, where we step uh, every single day it's there in our memories it's 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 there in our immersion uh, i think that also allows for uh, these traditions to settle in uh, very well uh, some of the cultural politics can be quite interesting sometimes for example with indian communities you know many indian communities uh, for a, for a for a period of time not so much anymore because this sense of uh, Indian pride that also comes with Rajini Khan and Shivat 
uh, Shivaji the boss and things like that, this pride of, you know, your Indian working class roots, that was not always there. At one time, you know, uh, many social mo mobility meant that you didn't want to perform or acknowledge the Urumi Melam anymore. And so suddenly you became a Veena and Sita player, uh, which, which is not reflective of our, uh, you know, of the historical landscape uh, of the Indians. But these things are now being negotiated. And I, and I think people have a far more uh, open uh, and uh, empathetic understanding towards more recent forms that are coming in and, and settling in. Of course, the, brilliant of any, the brilliance of any art form uh, is the individual themselves, yeah? So if you're a great rapper, you're a great rapper, no matter uh, where rap comes from. I just wanted to add, um, our Wayangkulik group in Machang Kelantan, who are, many of them are below the age of uh, 25. And they are not only now expert Wayangkulik performers, but they've also formed their own indie band. Because alongside, they were first actually trained as Wayangkulik drummers and gong players and chanang players and everything. Um, but because they are so... Um, highly skilled and open to musical instrument. And actually with a lot of interaction with Pusaka, we kind of also opened their listening to, to world music, to indie music, to David Bowie, to Joy Division. And so they started <laughs> listening to that kind of music. And now they formed their own indie band and they've been performing. They have they're a, very good too. They're very good. They have a single out. Mm -hmm. um, so those things are not, not really contradictory. I mean, there's a, there's a creative impulse. Um, and I think it's just... If you're serious about that and you allow that to, to flourish, then you can be open to all kinds of influences. Yeah, sometimes when you put that silly cap of tradition on things and you ruin everything. <laughs> uh, you look at Kronchong, for example. Kronchong yeah. is such an incredibly uh, uh, diverse and, and, and uh, experimental form. You look at things like Dangdut, you know, uh, so phenomenal uh, combination of Indonesian, uh, Javanese rhythms. And you look at something like Jaipong. Uh, you know, but, oh, but this quest towards towards uh, uh, purity, uh, that, that is a very destructive and disruptive thing. Mm. And actually on that note of um, purity, because of the racial politics that often come into play in many conversations in Malaysia, um, there is this sense that certain art forms, even though they might have their roots somewhere else, are viewed as being more Malaysian than others. Um, how... You know, when it comes to speaking about the arts themselves, um, how do we sort of move away from conversations like that? Is there, um, or is that something that is just some that, that we're going to have to contend with? I think we are moving away from it already. I, I think this obsession about what is Malaysian and what is not Malaysian. Uh, I mean, you know, I remember being a, a theater critic in the 1990s for a major newspaper, and you know, there was this obsession of of, of, of uh, doing uh, uh, um, foreign plays and Malaysianizing them, whatever that meant. And very often that just meant putting one la behind something and, you know, dressing as uh, in some fools and whatever not. Uh, it, it's just so absurd. Uh, but I, I think this whole kind of identity politics uh, does make, does arrive at a point of absurdity in this country anyway. Uh, because as I said, our cultural realities are very, very messy. Um, and uh, when, when you, you, you try to provide uh, very clear uh, definitions and very, very, very clear uh, borders upon uh, what particular cultural identities are, you end up being really quite absurd. You know, I, I think people have far greater sense now. Uh, and the intellectual integration has also become a lot more sophisticated. Uh, so I think people are very, very, uh, uh, very more fixated and more interested in the polyglot nature of who we are now, 
than in any of the kind of um, you know puritanisms that have been propagated uh, over the past 30 and 40 years. No, yeah, and I would agree. I would say also like within each community, um, even I think it's important. I think it's the right time now to allow the different, the, the real plurality and diversity of uh, of our communities and traditions to express themselves. And I think there is a place for it. I don't think there's anyone who's saying like, no, this is not part of Malaysia. But I think it's to allow that to flourish and to um, to constantly perhaps just push the boundaries um, of what is allowable and what is uh, is acceptable. I don't think anyone's really stopping us in any way. I mean, we've always done that. Pusaka's always pushed the boundaries. Um, and so, yeah, the even in terms of within communities, like the Chinese community, for example, or the Indian community, what is seen as, like in the in the Chinese community, I think there's a tendency to Mandarinization nowadays. Mm. And so I think for the dialects and the groups um, who work in dialects, like theatrical forms, like the Teochew puppetry tradition or the Hokkien puppetry tradition or Cantonese opera, um, and forms like that, for those kinds of traditions to be supported in some way and to be allowed to, to do what they do, continue to pass down the tradition to young people especially, um, I think that's one of the ways in which we can, we can help to further the, um, and to recognize the diversity. So just to bring things to a close, um, alongside the flourishing of the art forms themselves, how important do you think it is to also, I know you don't like the word preserve, Edin, but you know, document and, and I suppose honor the roots and the journeys that have brought them here? Uh, the documentation aspect is hugely, hugely important. Uh, I, you know, we have been engaging with this for now 20 years uh, and, you know, we have kind of branched out into all kinds of, 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 of areas of documentation, including aspects of nationhood and all that. Um, our documentation culture is just abysmal uh, and, and it really needs to be enhanced. But uh, one of the things that I've also, uh, Pusaka has tried to advocate is that you can document very creatively. Yeah. And the, the process of documentation itself can be a creative process. And so our, our, our ability to engage, for example, with very interesting filmmakers, with very interesting uh, 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 theatre people, with dancers and so on, I think that engagement is hugely, hugely important. Uh, doc, there's, there, there is very um, a scholarly documentation that needs to be done, and it's being done. But while you're doing that, you can also be engage very, very creative people. Um, and uh, uh, I think this is how also uh, the documentary aspect is made animate, yeah? It's when people interact with uh, traditional masters, uh, when, they, when they absorb things and then carry it into their own forms uh, uh, and it becomes very experimental and exploratory. That essentially is how things were done here in the first place. Uh, the moment you encountered something that you liked, you begin to absorb it and practice it, right? Uh, and so in that sense, docu uh, uh, the, the documentary aspect, the archiving aspect is very important but it can be done in a, in, in, a, in a multivalent ways, in many, many different ways, including the creative. Mm. But in terms of um, also documenting and, and I suppose remembering where they came from, is that important? That's hugely important. Um, and one, that is one of the things that we do um, as part of our documentation, particularly with the old masters, because I think the, the kind of ilmu and the kind of memory, not just about the tradition itself, but, but with the journey, for example, of their own ancestors and of, of the communities yeah. that, that first came um, and of those lineages, of those lines um, of uh, Katurunan. That's hugely important. And that usually, that kind of memory is usually 
kept by the elders of a community. And so for us, it's always very urgent. The most urgent documentation is to, is to interview um, yeah. the old masters. And that's what we're, it's always a race against time for us mm. to do that. Yeah, and I'll always remember that many of these traditions are located in the idea of memory anyway. Yes. Thank you so much, Pauline. Thank you, Edin. Lovely. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you for having us. As we get into the Merdeka Day spirit, um, and of course with Malaysia Day coming up next month, I've been speaking with Edin Koo and Pauline Fan from Pusaka about the migration of art forms into Malaysia, how they've evolved and taken root here, and how they've become a part of our cultural landscape. I will leave you now with Chinarasa Urmi Melam Masanakali playing the Urmi drums. You've been listening to Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.